Hey everyone, Tim here. First of all, before we get started, I want to thank you all for your great support and feedback that we've received. We really appreciate it. Keep checking our website for updates. We just published an events page so you can follow upcoming happenings. In particular, the Portland Police Bureau is looking for feedback on upcoming changes to policies and directives. This feedback needs to be received by January 15th and is a little complex. So uh, we at Progress Portland are gonna be posting on our website and social media how to review and offer feedback. Plus, we'll be sharing more ways to get and stay involved in community input and oversight. We also have some exciting interviews coming up, so keep listening, please. Like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite places to listen to podcasts. And now, our interview with Jesse Cornett. Welcome to the Progress Portland Podcast. I'm Tim Halber. I'm Kip Silverman. We are here today with Jesse Cornett, running in District 3. Happy to have you. Thanks for coming, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Kip, you've been pouring into Jesse's website, getting a sense of what his platform yeah, I, is. Yeah, I've been digging in. But yeah, uh, go I, ahead and grill away. <laughs> well, for I, I think how we always like to start is to ask why you're running, what's important to you, and what brought you to this point. I'll try to go brief, which I'm not very good at. Um, I have been involved in things political since mm-hmm. the year 2000. I've worked on a lot of Democratic campaigns. Uh, I shifted more to the left over the course of my career. I used to always think I was going to run for office, and I did run for office. And I was a kid, and unlike now, I'm not sure that I could tell you I knew why I was running. And the results were in proportion to that. Um, I did not do well. Um, I never thought I would run for office again. I've said this widely enough now, I've never said it publicly, where um, just as a human being that um, has feelings and emotions, I thought that I was a loser and an outcast as a result of my very poor showing. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that I would run for office again. And I continue to have these experiences ever since. I did some really neat things early in my career. I should even mention that. I've been talking a lot about campaign finance the last few days. Um, one of my early projects, um, you know, as a 20-something-year-old senior policy advisor for the Secretary of State, uh, I was the lead staffer in charge of creating the policy, which later we passed into law and became known as Oristar, mm. um, the campaign finance database in Oregon, right? We just Thank completely, you. Uh, if you wanted to, prior to 2000, in, in, until the 2006 election, if you wanted to find out what somebody was doing with campaign finance, you had to drive to Salem and get a stack of paper and sit in the corner and read it and then pay it 25 cents per copy if you wanted to take it with you oh, or wow. something like okay. that. Yeah. So if Nigel Jacobs was sitting there reading a campaign finance report that you wanted to read, you had to come back later. And uh, so um, I did some neat things. My neat work never really stopped. Um, after um, 2010, when that was, I worked with some great candidates, including Twee Tran, who was later elected to the legislature, uh, was very proud of, of that, even though we didn't get her over the top then. Um, and my work culminated in working for both of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaigns. In the 2020 race, I was one of the first dozen or so hires on the campaign, and then I was promoted in September of 2019 to be what was called the body man for um, Bernie's campaign, which meant that um, I traveled with him everywhere for six months. If he left his house or his hotel room, I was literally by his side. 
um, which was really neat. Um, as a uh, as a fun side to perhaps talk about some other time, I started that job precisely two hours before he had a heart attack, and I delivered him to the hospital. It was a really oh, wow. yeah interesting, scary start. Even before I had that role, and I'm landing this plane, I promise. I went to Homestead Child <laughs> Detention Center with him, where I looked. I stood on a ladder. You heard me talk about this, I believe, Kip. Um, looked down at, at folks that we were as a country caging kids wouldn't allow them to hug their siblings by the way some of those kids never found their mm-hmm. fucking parents if i trace back why i'm running it was that day mm. june 2019 100 degree humid weather uh, i sat in the car and cried um and i came home after the bernie lost um i came home i was offered a contract lobbying gig Talk about a good investment. There's an organization, Oregon Latino Health Coalition. They had a measure that they introduced that would provide healthcare access to 55,000 Oregonians, cover all people is what it was called, healthier Oregon is what it's called now, who would otherwise be eligible but for their immigration status. So we're talking migrant farm workers and Mm -hmm. such. They hired me. I got the call on that on uh, Inauguration Day, I remember, January 20th. So the session was already, and they said, we need $10 million. Can you help us do it? And I said, sure. It was a $17,000 contract. um, And in June, the state Senate fully funded it, not a pilot project. We got them $100 million to first biennium um, for the last few months, and it's $300 million biennium moving forward. And so for me, I like to use that as the example of, of who I am, how I am. That's what I took out of the Bernie Sanders experience. Helping those 55,000 Oregonians was a crowning achievement in my career. And even though we're not talking about healthcare or migrant children in the city, um, what I want to do is represent those in our community that need it the most. Um, and uh, you just... Uh, yeah, you know the folks that are that are in the tents, the folks that are in the throes of their addiction, um, um, folks that are having a mental health crisis. We don't have the resources we need as a community, and it's a shame because we have the resources financially to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had leadership that has um, not performed at a level that I think is acceptable at the city or county level. Um, and for me, what I want to do is get to work focusing on addiction, mental health, homelessness, and walk and chew gum at the same time, so we can focus on. Things like climate change. Portland used to be a national leader. It's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of lost, you know, in the the annals of history that um, I, the, the congressman for this area now retiring Earl Blumenauer as a young city commissioner um, introduced an ordinance to ban clamshells, styrofoam mm-hmm. rather, and they were the clamshells at McDonald's. So they stopped doing it here, and other cities followed suit, and it, those went the way of the dodo very fast. Um, and that's what can happen at the local level. There's a lot of other neat stuff we're going to be able to do too. I'm excited. I was mentioning before we started the podcast, I'm getting ready to do, a, I just got back from Lisbon. And I'm getting ready to do a Measure 110 forum. Almost a, a week after that, I'm doing a, uh, a forum with uh, with some music folks um, talking about the impact of uh, lack of willingness of developers to pay for sound insulation um, that's putting small businesses in jeopardy in Portland. It happened, it almost happened at one of my favorite venues, Landmark Saloon, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it actually, by and large, as I understand it, more impacts music styles that our black and brown neighbors listen mm-hmm. to more than we do. Interesting. We've seen that along Alberta. Yeah, Joe's yeah. Uh, Joe's place was an mm-hmm. early casualty yeah. in the redevelopment there. Yeah. Tragic. I think that's what it was called, right? It became the nest. I don't know what it is now. I, I, and then it was something else after that, and then they finally were able to get it to shutter, if memory serves. But yeah, I, I don't recall all the names. There's so much to, to talk about there. You jumped right in. You're talking about homelessness and, and addiction issues. 
you know, front of mind for everyone right now in Portland. Um, how do you how do you foresee getting off the ground, working with your new fellow city councilors, helping to solve that issue? From what I've heard, uh, there's a lot of addiction resources that are coming online. Is that your perspective that we're, we're getting there and you're going to jump right in and ride that forward? Or is there a lot of work to be done? There's a lot of work to be done. So I serve on the Board of Oregon Recovers, an advocacy nonprofit for those in recovery. I've done a lot of work in this field. I see things happening the way Measure 110 money. Everyone was worried about it going out there. Then it got pushed out the door. Um, I'm not convinced it's being spent responsibly. Mm. Uh, there's not really an account- any accountability metrics there. There's mm-hmm. one organization that I know. Uh, I'm going to be really vague that spent a lot of money on consultants to figure out how they could hire more people. And the reality is, is we don't have the trained workforce Mm-hmm. Um, to do those jobs. So, and this is going to be a theme that you're going to see throughout my entire campaign. Um, I had um, somebody who lives in uh, the in Montevilla who I was exchanging with, who was amazingly aggravated, pissed off that he had to look at tents and garbage, and said to me on the phone, "Lock them all up, throw this shit away, and sort it out later." <laughs> and what I wanted to say was, by the way, Geert, if you want to be like that toward my fellow Portlanders, I'll name check you. Right. We don't have the trained workforce to keep them in jail. So if you wanted to do something heartless and stupid Mm. like that, we couldn't. We probably couldn't even recruit enough people to pick up the trash. So that's something we have to focus on as a city, is workforce at every level. At every level, addiction counselors, social workers, we also, as a city, need to be an active participant in the conversation about ensuring trades are trained up. So we're building affordable housing stock in 10 years, in 20 years. What we are trying to do as a city is a disservice in that there are a lot of people who keep thinking that they're presenting. I think they believe it's solutions. We're not getting a solution. If I'm lucky enough to be elected... I'll be on the ballot again precisely two years later, November 2026. I'd love to come back on your podcast, sit here and say, we solved it. No more tents. <laughs> That's not reality. Right. We're focused on that over managing it. We're focused on that over rapid rehousing, rental mm-hmm. assistance, and things that will prevent the problem from getting worse. We should focus on that just as much as we're focusing on the solution. Yeah, yeah. It, approaching it with empathy. I mean, I think is a big part of it. Is thinking of it, thinking of it from an empathetic perspective of the people on the streets. I think empathy is important. Yeah. Um, we're here. Yeah. We're in your home. There was appreciating it on the walk-in. You said you've lived here about a year. Yep. Nice house, modest house. If somebody blocked your driveway with a, a tent, you're gonna be pissed off. Sure. Uh, I'm gonna be compassionate to that guy, but guess what? I'm also going to be compassionate to you um, because you made a big investment in our city, in yourself, right? We don't get to say, sorry, dude. Yeah. So agreed. compassion, compassion, compassion. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would rather lose than have a dis, you know, dispassionate or uncompassionate approach. No, pre- appreciate that. When 110 was circulating, um, I rent, so I move around, unfortunately, frequently. Uh, follow the uh, affordability train. Um, Sorry to hear it. Yeah, it, it is what it is, right? I'm lucky I can afford rent most of the time. But my next door neighbor at the time, he works in dealing with people who are having medical crisis who are addicts. And he was like, yes, we have to decriminalize uh, drug use, 
right? Um, but 110 is not the answer because the funding for all the things it needed to do was very, very murky. So he was against it initially. It did decriminalize, but what we're seeing is some of the things you already mentioned, is that the systems that need to be out there are not well managed or figured out. The organizations that need to be hired to help people aren't paying people living wages to begin with. Mm. Um, There's a lot of different challenges on how do we get the right services and get the funding to the right organizations and make sure that they are doing things in an accountable way with data and understanding. Do you have a thought process on how do we shore up the other end of 110? Or and, I have do you so agree many with thoughts. my do do you agree with my assessment? I guess is another question. I don't disagree. Okay. Ballot measures are the best democracy that money can buy, which is not to say they're good democracy. <laughs> I had several issues happening in 2000 where I opted to vote against measure 110 even though I fundamentally do support the decriminalization of the possession of drugs. Uh, I was in Portugal recently, uh, two weeks ago today. I spent an entire day meeting with policymakers. The adjudicator, I guess, would be the right way to uh, best uh, way to say it for those who were cited for possession. Um, learned their process of meeting with the social worker and having the discussion about what the penalty should be and how help could be received. Um, They did that through their legislative process um, over 20 years ago. Uh, In 2021, 20 years after they finished that, they opened their first safe use site, which was part of the original legislation. Wow. 20 years later. We want to do this right now. We're in a hurry. Um, I was 25 once, and I worked in the legislative process, and I wanted everything goddamn done right now. Um, And in 2006... Um, when I was a super, 2007, when I was a super important government relations director for Portland State, there was a very last minute idea in order to um, give veterans uh, and their families from Iraq um, and Afghanistan free tuition, in-state tuition. Um, and we passed it. There was a, legislator, a prominent legislator that wanted it. It was, the short, it was a short session. They passed it. Uh, so that would have made it 2008. Um, and came back to campus after the legislature, and I sat down with our vice president for finance and her staff, and it's like, what about this and what about that? And the the financial impact of that was significantly more. Wouldn't have changed. We should have done it. Um, but for me, it just, what I realized is like, oh, when somebody has an idea for a bill and mm-hmm. it becomes law two weeks later, there's something fucking wrong with it. Yeah. The legislature is a deliberative process. So there are a lot of things about Measure 110. um, But my punchline is this. We have a legislature. We vote for 90 people around the state who undertake this deliberative process. Several of them are also in Lisbon at the same time as me. I was not in the same program as them over there. I did some of the same things at a separate time. It's their job to craft this in Salem. It shouldn't be done by ballot measure. We need the deliberate process. And so for me, when I, what's, what changes I support to Measure 110, I am going to support the changes that come out of the legislative process. I have no doubt, even not being sure that I'm going to be enthusiastic about 100% of them. But guess what? That's what you get in a deliberative process. And that's what the voters need right now, Portlanders need right now, Oregonians. Cool. Thank you. It's curious to see what the current 
local government has done with trying to address the houseless issues, bringing in outsiders, not talking to the experts on the ground, not using fact-based policy. From a brand new city council perspective, and some of the things that you are clearly already deeply thinking about, what would be some of the first things that you'd want to bring forward as a legislative body? The first thing that the future city council is going to have to do is form a functional legislative body mm-hmm. and hire a city manager. Mm-hmm. I have taught as an adjunct faculty member at Portland State for a long time. I have not for several years, um, but I did for six years. Um, and the class that I taught most frequently was a legislative process. Mm. Um, and I've endeavored to understand how other jurisdictions around the country operate. It's not just the state legislature is a legislative body. The Beaverton City Council is a legislative body. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we have to do first is we have to create this team that functions well together so we can work as a whole. So for me, I think more important than any single policy position is getting the framework right. Mm. Right? We can talk about what kind of wallpaper we're going to put up, but unless there's studs there, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And drywall. And that's where we're at right now. We need to put some studs up. And then we need to start hanging the drywall. What I want to do is everything. And I mean that literally. When it comes to housing policy, we can't waste money. But we're going to waste money. I don't know what the metric I'm looking for is. Maybe you guys can help me with this. Let's say you spend $100,000 a year to house three people. And at the end of the year, two of them are in the wind. Maybe they're homeless again. You don't know. You only know that one of them still got a house. Well, the people that have to sell advertisements are going to do a salacious story that that's a failure. And I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. We have to have a certain appetite for failure. I talked about my running for office in 2010. I sat down with a very prominent (laughs) Portlander and had one of the most fascinating, wide-ranging discussions of my adult life. And I won't get into all the details of it. Um, And this is somebody that I've respected and looked up to for 20 years. Um, And that person said in me that they respected my lack of fear of failure. And he was right. And it wasn't a dig. And he's right. Mm -hmm. And it was this crystallizing moment in my mind like, wow, that's true. Because if you don't go for the big shot, you're never going to make it. And I don't watch sports, so I shouldn't use sports analogies. <laughs> so we have to we have to dare to yeah. fail if we're gonna succeed. Yeah. We're just we're just not gonna we're not gonna do it. If you look at the county, let's have a conversation about whether we should be handing out aluminum foil or not. The way the county did it was dumb because they just started doing it. There was no discussion. So when there was a story, boom, you're dead. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry. Was what a, was the what was the aluminum foil story? For uh, the county, uh, started handing out aluminum foil for drug users and lighters. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I see. So, yes. uh-huh. um, and uh, there was blowback, and they folded. You got to stop folding. Yeah. If handing out aluminum foil and lighters is going to save lives, let's hand out some aluminum mm-hmm. foil and lighters. Yep. It boggles my mind the argument that making it easier to do drugs means more people are going to do drugs. And I'm like, you You have an epidemic already. It's not going to mean a whole bunch of new people are going to be like, oh, this seems like a great idea. It's people get into the situation they get into for a myriad of reasons. 
Um, what you want to do is to prevent people from harm or death and whatever that takes, even if it sounds illogical, you should still do it if it has a basis in helping that person. So I, I hear what you're saying with, with, with try things, be afraid to fail. I want to dig into that a little bit and, and then Tim will likely pull us back out because I'd like to get down into uh, the weeds. Quick sideways first. Yeah, sure. Um, as somebody that has been active in the recovery community, I also find myself looking for opportunities to talk about um, these are three crises, mental health addiction, homelessness. They're often intermingled. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I take every opportunity that I can can to point out that any data out there, uh, there's no data that shows addiction causes homelessness. In fact, it's the other right. way around. It's the other way it's around. It's the other way around, yep. yes. Um, and yep. I don't know if you on your show have talked about the trajectory. I've dealt with housing instability um, as an adult. Y- you know, you sleep, your shit's going to get stolen. Mm-hmm. You're going to get raped if you're a woman on yep. the spring water corridor and you're asleep in the dark, especially. Um, and so that's, I mean, for me, pointing out that intersection yep. is important. There, there, there's sideways. a data point. Uh, no, it's a good sideways. There's a data point out there that most overdoses happen when somebody learns they're losing their home, their housing, whether it's a house or it's actually a tent or what have you. So uh, talking about risking failure and being bold, let's talk about the police. It can be a very mm-hmm. difficult topic because there are people so entrenched on both sides. Police reform has been something that even last week has been stifled again. What is your opinion of, of where we're at in dealing with reforming the police and if uh, what, what you see as a path forward? Well, we're not reforming the police. That's how we are. Mm-hmm. And we need to. We're going to go back. We're going to hit rewind. I keep hoping I can have a short answer. <laughs> in 1997 mm-hmm. I decided what I want to do when I grew up was be a police officer mm-hmm. at the time Portland had a four year degree requirement I started going to college for no other reason by the time I graduated from Portland State there was no longer a four year degree requirement and I no longer wanted to do that job I was however in the middle of a three year stint as a reserve deputy sheriff for the county here in Multnomah I went through police academy mm-hmm. the same basic training that every any officer in Oregon was required to do at the time Portland police officers do have extensive training beyond that. Um, so um, I had that training. In uh, November 2005, uh, my closest friend alive um, was um, drunk, depressed, found my service weapon, and uh, was uh, uh, threatened suicide. He was in the backyard. 911 got called. He was on the phone with the police negotiator. The police negotiator encouraged him to go back inside. Immediately, he turned to go inside. A police sniper shot him in the back and killed him. Oof. This was my back porch. This wasn't some guy that I met at a bar once four years before he was shot. I'm so sorry. Um, So um, I think that when I talk about police issues, I have a little bit of authority that um, is um, very hard to come by. I had coffee this week with Tom Potter. He was a former police mm-hmm. chief. He ushered in community policing mm-hmm. um, in in Portland. And we talked about everything under the sun, police culture, and how toxic it has become, mm-hmm. yep. how Christian nationalist it has become. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a rhetoric flamethrower. I'm just not. I'm guessing our values are 99% the same. But you're probably willing to say some shit in a way that I'm not. I'm not. 
I don't know why, that's how I am. So when it comes to the rhetoric around cops, I don't deal in it. We got a problem in this city. So the trajectory in Portland, which you two and your listeners, some may know, Tom Potter ushered in community policing. We had a police chief, Charles Moose, who became very famous for other reasons later, Mm -hmm. um, wrote a literal dissertation on community policing as a PhD student at Portland State. He left. Vera Katz, the mayor at the time, hired Mark Croker, who was a a militaristic-style leader from the Los Angeles Police Department, who was Mm -hmm. Rodney King leadership. We hired Mark Croker. We never looked back. And when I talk about community policing and getting police where we need them in our society, first we need to find a way to talk about them Mm -hmm. um, better. Um, This started off as me being trying to be funny. Um, which when we started talking about passing the, uh, when we, when we created the agency now known as Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, um, I jokingly kept saying we should call it the National Immigration and Customs Enforcement because when somebody comes to your door and their coat says, nice officer, it feels a lot different. <laughs> um, we never great, looked, great idea. We yeah. never looked back on community policing. Um, it, with that, we, 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 you know, maybe call it that sometimes. Um, but what we have to do for Portland police officers is we have to get them to be part of our community mm-hmm. again. And when I talk about community policing and policing, I tie it back to things recycling a whole lot and make the example of when us three were 13 years old, recycling was a little bit foreign. Maybe we did it. Maybe it was a pain. The newspapers, that's what we saved when I was a kid. Plastics? No, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and now... A 13-year-old will look at you like you're a murderer if you throw a soda can in the garbage. Um, and that's what we need in our – we need that generational change in our police department. This is what I talked yep. to Mayor Potter about on Saturday. We need to get – I don't think we can get one police chief for 20 years. We need one police chief philosophy for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. The first five years, it's going to suck. Yeah. The cops are going to be jerks. Some of them are going to get tired. And we're going to have 100 new guys. And all they know is this new way. Mm-hmm. And five years after that, it's going to be 300. And in 20 years, that's all we have. Mm-hmm. And that's when we have the police that our community deserve. Absolutely. And so when I yeah. talk about policing, I want a long-term strategy. Mm-hmm. I think that we have the police doing a lot of things that don't need badges and guns. Mm-hmm. We need to get them out of that business. Yep. And to the extent... Funding is needed. It has to be directly tied to accountability metrics. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to step in. I'm going to go into dicey territory here. I, for one, think that we need some consequences. I think if you want to go 50 miles an hour up Hawthorne Boulevard, which happens every day, mm-hmm. you should be pulled over. You should pay a penalty. We need people doing that work. There, yeah, uh, I, I could, my... Just as an aside, my my partner's car got totaled four months ago by somebody blasting through a red light at 70 miles per hour. Uh, If it wasn't for her being in a brand new, near a brand new Subaru, she might not have made it. Um, And that car hit two other cars before it came to its stop. It's horrific. She okay? Pretty okay. She's got uh, she's got some ankle issues, and it's been. It's been a hard time, um, and and we thank you. When you pull up to a red light and it turns green, nobody goes. 
Everybody looks back and forth. Is there someone blasting through? Okay, now it's safe to go. We absolutely have to change that dynamic and the multiple ways of doing it. To talk about the police culture and changing it, leadership is, is a huge part of it. I know some folks, both anecdotally and personally, who were actually uh, the Portland Police Bureau reached out to them and said, we'd love to have your expertise, please come on board. And they're like, your culture is too toxic, I would not join that organization. So we have to change the organization, we need leadership. Um, I, I also feel like the biggest thing that seems to be what gets the very worst behavior from ever having any kind of accountability is the city code. And just as we're changing the charter for how city council should work, I'm of a firm belief that we need to change the code on how and the regulations around how, how the police work and what they're permitted to do and what they're not permitted to do. There are many uh, aspects of the city code will begin to change uh, very quickly after the new council is seated. When it comes specifically to police, there's a lot. And I don't know if it's code or simply policy. I think it has to be code. Um, mm -hmm. We have stronger regulations about how many hours you can drive a truck a week mm -hmm. than how many hours you can run around with a gun. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of small changes like that. I had a, a coffee session with uh, actually a, a police bureau civilian employee yesterday, and we were uh, spitballing on this. It's like, yep, like how about you may not work more than six days in a row. You may not work more than twelve hours in a shift, um, barring higher up than your sergeant signing off on it. Um, you must take two consecutive days off a month. You must take seven consecutive days off a year. We want you to be involved in the community. If you want to buy a house in Portland, we're going to find a way to help you with your down payment. When you stay in that house in Portland, we're going to give you a 5% a pay bump or something like that. I want to pay police officers in this city to coach Little League, mm -hmm. not even in their uniform. Let it be known. They're cops. Sure. Be part of the community. Do good. I also... I haven't, got, I haven't talked about this a single time, so I shouldn't on a podcast, but here we go. <laughs> there have been some police agencies around the country that have put a, a focus on uh, mindfulness, and I'd sure love it if we could get that into the mix as well. Absolutely, yeah. We could tie this back to our earlier discussion on, on, on drugs and you know uh, what works, what doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work to tell somebody that's using heroin they must go to rehab. It just doesn't work. They've mm -hmm. got to be ready. Same thing with police officers. We can't require you to live in the city. We want you to. Please do it. We'll help you if you do. And I sure hope nobody thinks I just compared cops and addicts. <laughs> no, I, th I think that's clear. Because everybody knows addicts have positive attributes. <laughs> oh, Just kidding. So sorry. We can cut that out. I, I want you to, but I don't want you to. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. good. It's good. Uh, I, I said something like that. I did a uh, I did a, a, a YouTube show with this Russian couple last week, and their producer. I said something. I was being sarcastic, and I looked over my shoulder. and I was like, "You got to cut that." No, seriously, don't cut any of this. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they'll do. But. Well, we we appreciate your, uh, your I, forthrightness. I bring a lot of levity to everything that I do. That doesn't sit well with everyone. I understand that, but yeah. it's. Part of my personality. I've been forged by trauma, as many of us have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Well, speaking of that, I'm coming through a lot of trauma of, of recent years as well. Um, I'm feeling through humor is also there's anger behind it. There's frustration. Um, how are we going to move forward? How are you going to be able to collaborate with others? I guess is the question. How do you work? Because um, we had Steph Routh in here. Mm. Steph Routh, like amazing personality, heavily collaborative. Just like from from the, the get-go, you're like, this person is going to steer collaboration. You know, she's going to bring people together. How do you bring people together? I do things not to talk about them. Sometimes I do them and then I want to talk about them. And this is just <laughs> one of them. I just the example that I go to, it's like, you know, when somebody posts on Facebook about, you know, buying somebody homeless lunch, I think you're robbing the soul of your deed when you do that. Just help somebody yep. and enjoy it. I am sure I've bragged about my good deeds, too. It's not like I'm being... Steph is a good story. I've, ne I've said this to her. I've said that to other people. Uh, I'm really glad she's not in my district, and I'm really glad it's not a zero-sum game. Because <laughs> if somebody said, you have to pick right now, you or Steph Ralph on city council, who? All right, Steph, your turn. Have fun. That's how much I like Steph. Yeah. I've known her for a long time. We've hiked. We've done some fun things through the years. Um, I uh, started talking to her opponent, um, Jamie Dunphy, about doing a, a music forum um, because of our shared interest in music. He's a musician, unlike me. And then I got on the phone with um, somebody else who's endorsing both Steph and me today. And I invited them to that event. And I immediately hung up the phone and I called Steph. And uh, you get the whole blah, blah, blah. I was, I was at Costco picking up my lunch, which I forgot. But I was also getting poinsettias um, because I love Costco poinsettias. I'll own that till the day I die. <laughs> and I call her and I say, hey, I just realized this. Like, I'm starting to have these discussions about doing this event with one of your opponents. And I don't want you to hear about that from anyone else. And that led into a, you know, half an hour conversation as I was walking around Costco. Um, and, uh, and then by the end of it, it's like, I know where you live, but I don't remember exactly where you live. Text me your address. She's like, why? I'm like, I'm bringing you a poinsettia too. And uh, so, uh, so I dropped by and, um, you know, stood in the street for two minutes and, Gave her a poinsettia and a hug and went on my way. Jamie, her opponent, we had a great discussion. We're going to have more. Chad over in southwest Portland, we've chatted mm -hmm. regularly. He got the Saturday afternoon when I was ironing call, and he got me through five pairs of pants and six shirts. <laughs> a good hour on the phone. Um, this was a few weeks back. Teamer, we've chatted every opportunity we could get in my race. I first endeavored to understand how ranked choice voting was actually going to work. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's naughty. It's a complex. Yeah, like in the hope that game. I could get more overall votes because there are more than three people in my district that I want to cast a ballot for, mm -hmm. and I don't get to. There's a prominent person that I have asked to talk to about potentially endorsing me, and I think that one of my opponents is more on brand for them than I am. When I get the audience with them, the pitch is going to be endorse both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no. Like, I want you to endorse me, but you actually have to endorse this other person, too. Yeah. Collaboration is just core to who I am. I don't have a book. I've never read a book that said collaborate, but I happen to like people. It's a, it's an uncommon person that I can't 
be in a pitch battle with and find several nice things to say about them. And I think that helps me. Mm. Um, I think it's also going to be really helpful. I have an approach uh, that uh, um, for the most part, um, we don't have enemies and political enemies here. We have shades of good people. We do have people that do shitty things. Um, I would never vote for Rene Gonzalez. He has been horrible. Just unilaterally deciding no tense is so dispassionate. And um, I could still find nice things to say about him. And when I look at it, here's what I remember about Rene. Rene Gonzalez does something a whole lot that I do, and that's say dumb shit. <laughs> he does that, I'm gonna do that. Rene's got opinions that are more conservative than mine, and I don't agree with them. But what I know is the voters in Portland have the same views as him. And I think they deserve a voice. I'm, I don't think they deserve a majority voice because they're not a majority. Mm -hmm. So anytime I interact with a Rene Gonzalez, it's going to be largely with respect. Mm -hmm. And I find myself in times like these, I'm aware that Rene Gonzalez could listen to this. You should call me, by the way. I've reached out to you several times, buddy. Yeah, I figured no. let's have a civil discussion. I did that with every city commissioner. Never heard back from a single one. <sighs> I, I, I really love the idea of poinsettia diplomacy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm I, almost embarrassed that I told that. No, no, I love it. It's like, hey, hey, bud, I'm two degrees over here, but here's a lovely plant. Uh, no, I dig that. I appreciate what, what you said, that, that there are people out there that make horrific decisions who are in power that actually go against the will of the people, anti-democratic, obstructionist. But you're not incorrect that there are people in Portland that are like, yep, that's that's our guy. And like you, I, I believe they're, they're definitely a minority. I, I do think with the ranked choice voting, I've seen in every other election, it's like, oh, we, we got to get the endorsement. That's our power, that the newspapers are going to report on who's endorsed which candidate. Well, we now have three per district. And guess what? You could absolutely endorse more than one person. What a wonderful thing, right? I've encouraged it. Yeah. There is a legislator, Mark Gamba, who I talked to very early on. Yeah. And, he, you know, he said he didn't know what he would do because there's more than one person that he likes. I'm like, well, there's three seats. Endorse three people. Yeah. I'd love to have your endorsement and nobody else, but that's not reality. Right. Endorse five people. I mean, if you think they're going to be a good person for this job, for whatever various reasons are, endorse them because it's going to be, I think we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, we feel very strongly it's going to come down to slates, that you're going to have more of a, dare I say it, parliamentary feel to things on such a large city council which is a beautiful thing, which means people actually have to have conversations and negotiate and compromise and weave together something that represents their people that they're going to get elected back in by. And, and holy shit, what a, I keep telling everybody, this is exciting shit. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about and I don't really have time for this. But uh, this, this excites me, right? Uh, We're doing the work for them. Yeah, so, please. Yeah, yeah. The, if if you're listening, be excited, damn it. <laughs> um, we, we've talked about this. I think Tim was speaking to this earlier at the beginning uh, about partnership, liaison, slates, supporting each other that you find commonality in. I'm very excited. 
But I also haven't imagined, I haven't let myself think as much about it. This is what everyone thinks about when they think of campaigning. But the reality is that I'm calling somebody six times mm -hmm. over the course of a month trying to get $20, mm -hmm. which gets matched by the city. I don't allow myself right now to believe that I know what precisely it's going to take to win. Here's what I know. Meet as many people as possible. Talk about what you care about. Wake up and do it again. That's all I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Learning, listening, talking. To that point, you have on your website, you have a little button saying, tell us your thoughts. What are your dreams? Have you been getting submissions? I am a very open and accessible person. I want people to tell me their thoughts. Um, if anyone sends comments to the website um, or anywhere, they get a response. Um, and I think that's critically important. Um, I have, uh, I've ignored what many smart people have told me. And it is my phone number that you can find everywhere. 971-219-5429. Jesse at CornetteForPortland.com. Nobody else checks those. And I think that kind of accessibility is, boy, I want to sound righteous for a minute, what we deserve as a city. 100%. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, I found out about your campaign launch because I went in to buy a couple of mugs at Revol Revolution Hall and Valdez Bravo standing there. He's like, Kip, you're here for the event. I'm like, what event? And he's like, oh, you don't know. And he dragged me over there. And I'm like, okay. And then I see people I know. I see Emma. I see other folks. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is cool shit, right? You know, um, and ran into you and you introduced yourself and I introduced myself and I might have mentioned the podcast and oh I did because you pulled out a card and you turn around and you're like here's my gmail and I'm like oh okay right on that was I mean it was yeah. that simple and and the cornet for Portland just actually forwards to that <laughs> so, cool. yeah um, only so. only because I saw it, I did that two days ago at the most because I, I saw an email from this kid that I'd been trying to get coffee with that he had emailed me about two weeks ago mm. and it went into that inbox and I finally had a point where I'm like one place for it all in one yeah. place it, it, the the digital aspects of it are hard so, but I appreciate the accessibility. You know, it's 160,000 people in the district. Rob Nose is my state legislator now, mm -hmm. and uh, his cell phone number is everywhere. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've never really had anyone take advantage of it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. If I need to change my number someday, okay, I'll yeah. do it. I think it's, I think people, I'm willing to take that risk for Portlanders. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, that uh, we are running very quickly out of time here because in this conversation has flowed so quickly and easily. It's been great. Um, but I wanted to just close out, out with talking about District 3. So tell me about, you know, uh, you've been talking to people, you've launched your campaign, you know, you live there. What do you see as the perspective of District 3 and, and what it needs maybe differently than the rest of the city and, and what it represents? You know, it's interesting because one of my um, a local uh, nonprofit leader that I do a lot of work with, we spoke uh, after the event, if I minded a little feedback, I'm like, oh, shit, sure. And, uh, and he says, you know, I couldn't tell you weren't running for something citywide. I think you should focus more on the district. And he's right. 
But the reality is, is that I'm not going to be parochial about the district, and I can talk all day and all night about the district. I live at 29th and Main. Um, I, uh, I, I, my partner's owned her house there since you could afford to buy a house in Southeast Portland in 1997, 98, something like that. Um, and uh, you go to the outer edge. I mean, you go just to the other side of 82nd is Lentz. I chaired the neighborhood association out there. Um, Lentz is, you know, was out there today seeing Steph. Lentz is near and dear to my heart. Um, I uh, also own a property that is in a different district. Um, yes, I'm a landlord. Ooh. <laughs> um, one house. So for me, I don't intend to go to City Hall to make decisions that are exclusively good for my place over your place. And in fact, my district, the way they structured it, um, the North District, North Northeast here, and then the East Portland districts get four-year terms the first go-around mm -hmm. um, because of the um, lower voter turnout, just to have a, a wider say. Um, uh, anecdotally, I think the economic issues are greater in this district. Um, 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 folks are hurting a little more in this district um, than they are um, on my tree-lined block. Um, and so for me, um, yeah... Um, I care about my neighbors, but I also care about this city. We do have the best music venues, though. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why that's okay. I mean, I mean like the, the district itself, just to get at your question. Um, you know, Mount Tabor, where I don't walk nearly enough. I went yesterday um, and, uh, and loved it. Show Bar, where Kip, mm -hmm. where we met, uh, you know, on the ground floor of Revolution Hall, mm -hmm. um, is an ab Rev Hall is an absolute gem. Um, it's and a great venue. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, it, you know, District 3 is, is home to the um, elementary, um, middle, and, and, and high school um, uh, Russian language, only Russian language immersion programs in Portland. Or maybe it's in Portland public. Um, not a lot of folks realize we have five school districts in Portland. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's in the district. It's a rich, vibrant district. Well, um, to, music keeps coming up. As a quick wrap-up, uh, give me a couple of favorite albums. What do you oh like boy. to listen to? The hard questions at the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now we're gonna get my God. Well, my musical interests all over the board. Um, I uh, This is the Cliff's Notes as ever. Um, when I was in high school, I looked around and I was the guy that listened to Metallica's Black Album and Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre at the same time. And I thought I was a weirdo outlier. My musical interest has never changed. I've seen the band, the rap group, Run the Jewels, and the country singer Tyler Childers in the same week. Um, and uh, um, I am uh, my, my favorite musician, I, I, I have to admit, my left arm is full of sad song lyrics. Uh, my favorite musician is a, an Americana singer named Jason Isbell. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he put out an album about 10 years ago, Southeastern, um, which is an absolute fucking masterpiece. Nice. Okay, well, on that expletive, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Thanks so much, Jesse, yeah. for coming. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This has been the Progress Portland Podcast. Please join us next time. Our theme music is The Acrobats by the Portland band Helvetia. 